Hello and welcome to Eventful, the podcast for meeting professionals. I'm your host, Lauren Edelstein with North Star Meetings Group. Eventful, the podcast, is our way of inviting you to join some of the interesting conversations we have with people in our business about topics that really should be on your radar. I look forward to hearing what you think, and please be sure to subscribe. The COVID-19 pandemic has created plenty of legal issues for the events industry, from adding attrition clauses to how commissions will be affected. As live events have begun to resume in one form or another, a new legal concern has arisen. Could planners be held liable if an attendee contracts COVID at their event? It's a tricky question and one that was recently addressed by Jonathan Howe, founding partner of Chicago's Howe & Hutton Law Firm and North Star Meetings Group's longtime legal expert. Howe spoke with Lauren Edelstein, Vice President and Content Director for North Star Meetings Group, during North Star's Interact Independent Planners, the latest in our series of half-day targeted gatherings of buyers and sellers of meetings and events. He discussed liability and contract issues and answered questions from the attendees who joined the event. On this episode of Eventful, the podcast for meeting professionals, we're featuring excerpts from that conversation. Is there a concern about liability in reassuring people and saying it's it's okay, you should come, this is our meeting, and basically selling them on coming to your meeting? And as an event organizer, do you need to be concerned about if they get sick? Well, here, here, here we go. Is, is That's a very good question. And what we're seeing is that with a lot of places, they're saying, well, if you want to come to our event, you've got to sign a waiver. You've got to assume the liability. You know that there might be COVID out. There might be something else out there, too. And if you're going to come to this event, you're going to hold us harmless against any kind of liability if you happen to encounter some kind of disease or some other malady that comes about from your alleged participation or presence at it. We, we look at, we'll think of the Trump rally uh, where they were asking for you to sign off a, a waiver. We didn't see anybody getting waivers when they were doing the protests in the street. And we think that, that you have a whole corollary there of how many people have been impacted by that as well. And how many people are out there just sort of walking around as a time bomb in carrying it on asymptomatic kinds of situations. So we, we don't know. And again, that goes back to the emotional the fear that people have as to what they're doing, why they're doing it, and how they justify it. What we're, we're really concerned about here is there's a potential of liability. Can I minimize the extent of that liability by a waiver or an assumption of risk? Maybe. And, and the courts have yet to decide. But remember, too, if you've got people under the age of 18 coming to your programs, even though their parents may have signed off against that in many states, at eight, once upon reaching the age of 18, they can renounce that waiver and still come after you. So from an insurance standpoint, from a liability standpoint, there are a lot of what's going to happen and a lot of uncertainty. And that gets into the whole area, too, of if I were a lawyer and I was going to press that lawsuit, how do I prove liability? Because I have to show cause and effect. I have to show there was a duty that you breached that duty. And as a direct result of breaching that duty, that's how I became sick. That's going to be a difficult wave to prove just because the statistics may have shown that if you were at this particular event, 10% of the people who were there all came down with something. Still doesn't prove that they all got it at that event. Go back to the journey. There are so many steps along the way where you could become impacted by the disease. That's true. So that is the, the most popular question in our chat right now is, will a waiver on registration help protect the organization from being sued if someone gets sick from another attendee? 
You don't know where they get sick from. And also, if you're following all the recommended protocols, if you're doing everything as right as can be, you've accomplished your duty of care. Yes, and that's a good point, is that if you're doing what's recommended by the CDC, no, the CDC doesn't require its recommendations, but that sort of establishes the duty. If you meet all of those specifications, you're okay. But here's the problem. You may be having the tape on the floor showing six feet distances. You may have tables arranged. That doesn't prevent somebody from suddenly pushing their way to the front of the line. Uh, It doesn't prevent somebody from scooching over a little bit at the table. So what enforcement mechanisms do you have and how do you go about doing that in a polite but forceful way? So we have a lot of social distancing requirements, but I can tell you all the ones I have seen, somebody is going to not necessarily intentionally, but just sort of move a little bit out of the way or somebody's passing you in the hallway or whatever. There's no guarantee. So I think from the standpoint of meeting the duty of care, if you establish, you're going to do what the CDC recommends. And the problem is some of those recommendations have varied and changed. Just make sure you're the most up to date. Then we have certain protocols that are being imposed by the venues themselves. Let's make sure we follow those and we understand what they are. And I think you have then in your duty of care in selecting a venue, you want to make sure that that venue is doing everything to meet its responsibilities under a duty of care. So it's sort of a multi-phase multi-step deal and the key element is making sure you have done as much as you possibly can consistent with the recommendations that establishes a good line of defense but here's the point if you got 85 dollars and you can get to the courthouse between nine and five monday through friday you can file a lawsuit i mean there is nothing to prevent you from being sued and so that's the other part of the parcel and what a lot of times you have is what we call strike suits where somebody will file a lawsuit and you'll say, gee, I'll pay something just to get rid of this. And you have what I call the price of peace, P-E-A-C-E. And that becomes then the difficulty that you're confronted with. Nothing's going to prevent you from being sued. What you want to make sure is you have the best line of defense in place. And of course, if you don't do nothing and you don't have an event, you can't be sued. So that's another factor that a lot of companies are doing. If I tell my employees, I don't want you traveling, and you travel nonetheless because you want to be at that event, you're taking that responsibility on yourself. Right. So we have more questions coming in. One is force majeure clause are typically one-sided and not protecting all parties equally. As we plan events, we are in a three-way partnership, hotel, client, and planner. What clause can be done that protects all? There's no absolute there is absolutely, it's not going to happen. What you want to do with your force majeure is look at the force majeure clause. And that's, remember, the force majeure is based upon performance being made impossible. That's the common law definition of force majeure. What we have done is we've taken that clause and uh, tried to stick a whole lot of other stuff in it, which will excuse performance. Force majeure says that if its performance is made impossible, because of something I have had no control, you have had no control over, and it happens and it prevents performance, then we're both excused overall. So when you say the clause is one-sided, not necessarily one-sided, because remember, most force majeure clauses would allow the other side to get out as well. What people view as being unfair is a limitation on the excuses that will allow them 
to invoke the force majeure. And the, you read, you may have a force majeure event, let's say. The pandemic is a force majeure event. Now the question is, what is the limitation on you being able to invoke the force majeure to get out? Most force majeure clauses say the force majeure has to make it impossible or in a, you know, inadvisable even, or you cannot do it. So you've, you've got illegal or impossible are the general two provisions. So even if you have the force majeure, it doesn't necessarily make it impossible or illegal. It may make it impractical. It may make it, you don't want to do it, but fear and not wanting to do something doesn't fall within the categories of force majeure. So the key element is what other elements do you want to put in your contract that would allow you to get out without liability. And and what can you put in your contract? I mean, we we just wrote about this recently and we gave a sample sample clause and also in our pulse survey that we're that we do, we see that planners are expecting flexibility in their contracts and expecting that hotels and other suppliers will be more flexible in, in addressing um, the concerns so that people aren't afraid to book. They're not afraid to put business on the books that they won't be able to fulfill. And I, I think what we have here is that the basic line is how far can I go with my force majeure or excusing performance with liability It's as far as the other side will let you go because contracts are based on mutual understanding and agreement. You know, my definition of a contract it's pretty simple. It's a self-inflicted wound. And if you agree to it, that's the deal that you have made. And so the key element is how much wording can you put into the contract that the other side is going to be prepared to accept? That's going to be the limit of what your clauses are. And remembering it works generally should work both ways. So in some situations we've had, maybe the hotel wants to get out because they can't do all the services. They want to get out without any liability. And you're sitting there saying, oh, my God, what am I going to do now? I need to have the hotel. I need to have the convention center or something intervenes and excuses their performance. So what are the other key elements you want to make sure in your contracts today is that if you have key elements that are absolutely vital and necessary to your being able to have a successful event, that you put those in the contract, if that can't happen, you're excused from performance yourself. Right. Okay. Another important question, particularly for this audience, is what happens with commissions? And we see a lot of independent planners are, you know, booking, rebooking, canceling, rebooking the rebooked event, and then an event is never getting actualized. And so the question is, for our contracts with clients, can we add a clause that if they cancel an event, they will reimburse the planner for lost commission that was anticipated as part of our revenue stream? If you can get the client to agree to it, sure. It's going to be a question of what you're putting in your client contract. Too many independents, and here's a real problem. Too many have relied upon a sentence or two in the hotel contract, which says my compensation will be the commission that you're going to pay. You go back to your customer, your client, you say, well, this is not going to cost you anything. Well, you've already talked yourself out of the positioning. You've been giving, quote, away for free by saying we'll live on the commission. I've had several cases on the commission deal. It's going to depend entirely on what your contract with your client is, entirely on what the contract with the hotel says and, and how you play that. You are in the middle between those two rocks, if you will. And, and the key element is 
how do I protect myself on both sides? In the hotel, if the event goes forward and you have a commission clause, my positioning is pretty simple. You want to make sure that in your hotel contract, you have provided that the commission is earned, keyword earned, at the time the contract is signed. The amount of that commission, the amount that you have earned, will be determined at the time of performance. Now, with some contracts too, some will try to say, well, if the cancellation fee or there's an attrition fee, why am I not getting a commission on the attrition or the cancellation? Well, the reason you're not is it's not the contract. It's based upon occupied and paid for rooms is, is what it's going to say, unless you have negotiated and you have put in that hotel contract something differently. What we have seen <clears throat> over the years that the successful independent has protected themselves by saying, look, here is our fee for doing this job for you. And if we earn commission, we will apply that commission or a portion of that commission against what you lost for performing those services. So you've protected yourself. You've given a little bonus back to the client, but you have still said, if I'm going to do these services, this is what I'm entitled to get. And if I have a commission, I'll share a portion of it with you, or I'll give you 100% of it, or I'll give nothing to you. But you have agreed you're going to pay me so much for me to do the services. That's the smart way to go, so that you've got yourself covered in both directions, if you, or all directions, if you will. And especially with commissions having been reduced by many um, chains and, you know, that put independent planners in a difficult position if they were relying solely on the commission. So it is just one more reason to go to a fee-based structure, seemingly. Absolutely. And then how you, how you determine that fee, that becomes a whole other topic for itself. Mm -hmm. but, but the key element is you need to figure out what it is you need to be compensated, what your margins are. And, and how you put that forward to the client. The problem is that until now, you basically have been telling your client, don't worry about it. It's not going to cost you anything. I'll do it off the commission. Mm -hmm. Well, that's the problem. You're going to now have to show that there's a new business model in town, a new sheriff in town, and convincing the client that that's got to be the way you're going to do business going forward. Now, in, in a lot of these situations, we have seen clients accept that. In others, they just say, okay, bye-bye to you. I'll find somebody else to do it on the same basis that we were doing it before. So it becomes a marketing decision. becomes a, a whole method by which you're doing business. I have, in the independent small business area, I have a basic admonition. Are you a meeting professional in business? Are you a business person? in the meetings industry. Hopefully it's the latter because you've got to look at this as being a business. You may love doing the programming and the site selection, all that, but it's still a business. So the focus should be first on business coupled with the service that you will provide. Mm -hmm. Okay. Back to questions. Um, with hotel occupancy around 44% now, does anyone know, do you know, John, how much of that is groups and meetings business? Do you have a sense of that? I, I would dare say that it's very small percentage is in the meetings arena. It may be some business travel. It may be some FIT travel. But that 40 or it may be, more importantly, it may be hotels which are occupied by first responders or essential employees who 
are put up by their employer or by the city or by the government so that they are, in the essence, not going home at night and sort of have a self-quarantine with all their brethren who are working at the hospital or working at the fire department or whatever it might be. So a lot of that occupancy is a very unique type of occupancy that would not otherwise be there but for and so don't think for a minute that that's group business it's it yeah. may be a group business in the sense of being an identified group but it's not like there the police the department right yeah is there an insurance policy for third parties to still get paid when events cancel well sure there's always convention <clears throat> event cancellation insurance better yet it's, it's it's really a misnomer it's really business interruption insurance and and we have been successful with a number of clients that fortunately had bought that insurance and included a communicable disease coverage prior to the outbreak in January of COVID-19. Those who bought it after the outbreak in January of this year, you're not going to collect because you have an exception for any kind of communicable disease COVID-19 included. So if you bought it, let's say you bought the policy the first week of January or before of this year, you're gonna have coverage. In fact, we have settled several very major insurance claims where the planner and the organization have the sense to buy a communicable disease coverage and they have been able successfully to get it based upon the budget that was not necessarily met but was reasonable at the time they put it together back to that 2020 budget or 2019 budget for 2020. Some people have come out pretty well uh, those who did not buy the insurance or bought it after the fact, don't think about that insurance protecting you or providing anything to you at this point. We did interview an insurance expert in the beginning of the pandemic, and I asked that question, and you know, she said the same thing. She said, "You'll you'll never get coverage for that now, and if you think you have a claim, you know, you know, go through the process and see if you can win. But going forward, no insurance company is going to agree to cover that." Just think about 9-11 and after 9-11, what about terrorism right. coverage? It was it was there, but it was very This is so different than terrorism because this is, we know universally, it's impacted everybody. Mm-hmm. And so if I'm an insurance carrier, there's no way in hell I'm going to cover this post the COVID disclosure and going forward. Now, who knows what the next big one's going to be, but I will tell you the insurance companies are going to be protecting themselves Overall, insurance companies love to collect premiums. They do not like to pay claims. Moving on to attrition, going forward, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty as to how many attendees will attend events they have previously went to, have gone to. What are you hearing or what are you seeing as the common attrition percentage for 2021? Well, here's what some planners are doing, and it's sort of a reverse. Uh, they're, they're, they're going in on a low number of sleeping rooms, let's say. But they're including in their contract the right to increase that number over a period of time based upon within a certain window. And so they have that opportunity to increase it, but they know what their bottom line is going to be, a minimal number. But we have the ability within certain percentages or number of rooms to increase that up to a certain thing. And it may be a staged based upon how many months and how many weeks out you are from the first day of the program. Now, as to attrition, in some situations, too, we're finding some property are saying, we'll waive attrition. We, we just want your business. 
come on board, we will waive attrition of any nature, or they will give you a reduced amount for attrition. But the key element now is that the market has shifted dramatically. I hate the concept of buyers and sellers markets, but let's say here, it's shifted from a seller market to a buyer market. And hotels are anxious to get your business. And I would say, if you don't ask, you don't get. So go look at it as to how best you can protect your clients, protect yourself in this particular environment. Because it's probably not going to be any better for the next couple of years as to what you're going to be able to do. We're pushing stuff out to 2024 and a couple of cases out to 2025. Great. Should planners start thinking about adding a purpose clause to use frustration of purpose as an out? I am delighted that somebody asked that question because absolutely positively, you want to state, and most contracts don't, they'll just say, this is going to be a sales meeting. Well, it doesn't say what the purpose of the sales meeting is. Put a purpose clause in your contract right up front, right after you tell who the parties are. And you said the purpose and mission of this program is to do X, Y, and Z. And if it's you have a specific speaker or a specific area that has to be covered, you're going to put it in there. We have seen over the years where so many companies may have a product introduction. They never state what that product introduction is going to be. And then when the product doesn't come about or the FDA has not approved the drug or the automobile doesn't get made, they're stuck. So a frustration of pur- or a purpose, a very clear, concise, what it is. So I can say this is measurable. I now have a frustration of purpose opportunity to get out of the contract without liability. And can you, give, question. Yeah. can you give some examples of where that would work? Um, like some other examples other than a product launch? Like okay. it, well, well, let's, let's say, for example, uh, you're going to have Colin Powell speak. And he's your big attraction. And, and all of a sudden, you get notification that Colin Powell is not available. Now, if you say the purpose of this program is to hear, have our delegates hear Colin Powell address blah, 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 and all of a sudden he's not available to speak, that's a frustration of purpose. So that allows you to bounce out of the contract. Or another frustration of purpose, I need the convention center. Now the convention center has been turned into an emergency medical facility or it's a place where they're keeping first responders or essential employees, now that that is not available to me, that would allow me to get out of any other obligations I might have. One key element in cancellation without liability, make sure all of your contracts track each other. (laughs) And so if it's you get out of the convention center or you can't get out of the convention center or whatever, you want to make sure every contract you have down to the AV company down to whoever's going to be a reg company. You want to have that consistency, which allows you then to have that as an opportunity to get out. Too many times we may have it in one contract, which will allow us to get out of this contract, but it doesn't allow me to get out of any other contract. So you may have have won the, the, the bad battle, but you've lost the war. Right. Question, should planners revisit signed contracts for 2021 to request or change group blocks, F&B, attendance, et cetera, due to COVID, travel bans? I would say yes. And the reason I would say it's going to be in both of your interests because they're just as much up in the air as for what it is now. What have we seen? We've seen some who are willing to negotiate. Uh, we've seen some who say, hell no, I won't go. 
So it's going to depend upon what your relationship is with the venue or with the, with the supplier. My key element is that we got to remember that this is a partnership type of arrangement. You, you've heard me rant about there is no such thing as win-win negotiating. It's, it's, you want a partnership, and that means you're sharing risk and you're sharing reward. And right now, we know everybody's sharing a lot of risk. And it's just how you define that, what you're going to do. I would much rather, as a property, have a reasonable expectation of what you think you might be able to do in 2021 than me saying, I'm going to stick you to it for whatever you said. I would be much rather have that because I may need your business in 2022. And if there's one way you can get, not get my business is don't be cooperative with me for 2021. Mm-hmm. And I've heard that from a lot of, you know, large corporate planners when this started, basically, rather than say, well, this contract locks us into this, but we have this and we can get out and go right to the contract. They called their hotel contacts and said, you know, let's work together on what we can do about this event. And and the people that were, you know, very accommodating and understanding and, you know, as well, the client was also understanding of the hotel's position and they came to something that was mutual agree, mutually agreeable, those are the, going to be their go-to people going forward. Absolutely. I mean, we like to do business with people we like to do business with. Part of the problem right now, a lot of those people we like to do business with aren't there anymore. Right. And, 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 and that's become another real problem. We had one situation uh, where we had working with a person, the client sent off a note to them saying, okay, we're ready to make some movement on this went into the dead letter box because the person was no longer there and nobody was checking. So a lot of times, if you don't get a response, you better pick up the phone and call and see who the heck is there that can work with you to try to solve the problem. And we're now in a situation where we're, we're in what I like to say is a problem-solving era working with it because it's, it's going to be there. And we want to be able to make sure that we know we're going to have a risk. We know there's going to be some loss. How do we minimize that loss to both sides? Right. So what can hotels do to protect their revenue stream for events that are rebooked? And, you know, say they, they've been rebooked due to COVID, they can hold an event of 100 due to regulate, you know, state regulations, but they choose not to. So where do you go with them? I'm sure we're going to be seeing a lot of that situation. Well, here, here, here's, here's part of the predicament we have. Some states are 100, some are 50. Here in Chicago, it's 50. At Matt, well, it's really 10 right now because we're, we're, we're holding our own. The key element is what, what's going to be workable for both sides. And like I said, we're going to need a lot more floor space. We're going to need a lot fewer sleeping rooms. And so how do we shift some of those monies around to accommodate and, and prevent you know, a, an absolute disaster? Part of the problem for a lot of properties and a lot of venues is they've got mortgages and they've got debt due over the next several months. In fact, I saw one that something like $27 billion worth of debt, which is coming due over the next several months. That's one heck of a nut to bite. And how much of that's going to be able to be refinanced, I don't know. And you've heard the airlines crying about that they're running out of capital to maintain where they're going to be. A couple airlines were smart. They went out and got early lines of credit and so on. But the, the key element here is when we're looking at this, if you're going to say, okay, you can keep my deposit and apply that later, 
my big concern on that kind of arrangement is will the hotel be around at that time? So you want to protect your deposit as well if you're going to be willing to go on that basis. So you put it in an escrow or you work out some kind of arrangement. You're basically telling the hotel you've got sort of a debt or an interest-free loan from me until such time as there's performance in 21 or 22. I think that the real problem is going to be how many of these hotels, how many of these venues, how many of these suppliers, how many of the people on this program are still going to be able to survive overall? That, that's a real key element. And the PPP, uh, Payroll Protection Program, a lot of people got help by it, but a lot of people were outside. People in the gig side uh, did have some opportunity. Unemployment compensation. Again, a lot of places where being self-employed didn't allow you to have unemployment. A lot of states have opened that up. So we got to see what kind of support we're going to get relative to debt forgiveness on PPP and what kind of debt forgiveness we're going to get just in working out and negotiating with your lenders overall. It's, it's a real issue. So the bankruptcy, you know, I, I hate to say, but, but being a bankruptcy attorney right now, maybe sort of where you want to be in some of these situations uh, mm -hmm. overall. Yeah, there was a prediction by um, the American Hotel and Lodging Association yesterday that 8,000 hotels will close by the end of the quarter or something yep. of that nature, which is and, um, disturbing. In addition yeah. to all those that have closed already. Mm -hmm. yeah. and, and we're seeing we're seeing some major properties saying they are maybe not making it. Some of very large properties, uh, which are primarily... Uh, business group oriented are, are facing the real problem with not getting that group business. Right. Which I see being a problem in sourcing because the, you know, the online sourcing tools may not have that updated information about the status of a property, whether it's open, whether, you know, it's, you know, temporarily closed, whether it's permanently closing, if the restaurants are open. And I think we're going back into the age of having to make phone calls because of that. I would dare say the phone is your best friend. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and you need to pick it up and call people and talk to them. And, and part of the situation, too, is one thing that we do with, with where we have some major, major problems or issues as to what's going to happen, we subscribe to the local newspaper and we, we monitor what's going on in the paper. That's a great source. For example, I, I, I watch the Las Vegas newspapers, I watch Orlando newspaper. I watch Hawaii's newspapers just to have additional information that is timely and hopefully is sort of fact at the moment kind of thing. So you can learn a lot there. Plus, picking up the old Ronald Reagan concept of trust but verify is very much in play right now. We've had some properties say, oh, yeah, we're going to be you know, Don't worry about it. You know, anytime somebody says, don't worry, I worry. Yeah. And, and, and I think that's some of the things that we got to be looking at right now. One other thing, too, I think that's so important is just that relationship you have with people is maintaining that and uh, keeping the door open and more importantly, keeping your eyes and ears open. Great. Well, it is time to wrap up. I appreciate your time, John. I know you're very busy, for better or for worse, in this, <laughs> in this difficult time for all of us. But I appreciate you, you know, lending your advice to this crowd today. Well, stay well, stay safe and stay sane. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. Be sure to rate and review us and check back for new episodes soon.